Well, if you have a Bible, please open it to that Old Testament passage, 2 Kings 5. And uh, we're going to be looking really at the first few verses. And Naaman, the need to be washed. And in the mornings over these last few weeks, we've been looking at what it means to be a real Christian, what it means to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus. And I wanted to give an example tonight of how we see Christ and we see the gospel even throughout the Old Testament as well. And to do that, we're going to look at this account of Naaman. And Naaman, this captain, a commander of the army of Syria, huge military power at the time, and yet in this instant that we have of him being washed and being cleansed from his leprosy, we're going to see the truth about what it means to be saved, to be converted, to be a true Christian. Now, many of you will know, but the Bible has two parts, two testaments, the old and the new. And they are brought together to include 66 books in total, spanning thousands of years. And yet there is one central message that runs all the way through. You know, when you ask the question, what is the purpose of the Bible? It is to reveal God as he is. It is to reveal us as we are. And is the whole matter of our relationship with God and how we can be right with God and know God. But often the Bible is disregarded today and, you know, many people when you speak to them say, oh, well, you know, what would I want to read that book for, that old book? And no point listening to messages like this from the Bible. They just want to get on with life. You know, what has a book like this got to say to me in this current day and age? You know, we just want to live our lives and live our lives to the full. But friend, you know, if you want real life, you need to listen to the message of the Bible, the word of God. When the Lord Jesus came, he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And this book that maybe you're holding in your hands even now is not an ordinary book, outdated or irrelevant. It is the inspired word of God. And God speaks to us through his word. You know, here you are tonight, you know, in your specific circumstances. I don't know all of you, but the Lord knows you. In your specific circumstances, and I tell you this, that this message, this book, can speak to you. And it tells us what is the cause of our deep trouble and unrest, and it gives us answers, the answers to our greatest need. You know, they're there right throughout the Old and New Testament, and the difference between the two Testaments is not the substance of the message, but how it is presented and the Old Testament really is pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ with many pictures and prophecies and shadows and all of these things interwoven with real history and real occurrences. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of those things in the Lord Jesus, but it is a, a consistent message all the way through. One puts it like this, there is only one way of knowing God one way of being saved, one way of being delivered from this evil world and from the devil, and that is the way of faith, faith in Christ. And so you've got it everywhere in the Old Testament in great characters such as Abel and Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and the prophets, the same salvation in the Old Testament as is there in the New. So in this real historical happening with Naaman, we have this picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, there's one element that I want us to consider tonight, and it's in that opening verse. And it's the problem of sin. The problem of sin. 
uh, rebellion, those wrong things, those transgressions against God's law, those things that we have done when we have shook our fist at the Lord and not wanted to do as he has set down, that rebellion against him. And sin is a problem for all of us. But we need to ask the question, what does sin do? Well, the first thing that sin does is this, sin ruins and it spoils. Look at verse 1, if you will, of 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Here is this man. He's honored by the king. He's a great leader. He's a man of ability. He's powerful. He's obviously got intellect. He's successful. He's got many victories under his belt. He's a man of status and he's a man of success and it all seems to be so good. But then that devastating word, but, but a leper. That describes Naaman's physical condition. He really was a leper. But you've also got a picture there of how the Bible describes sin. And often in the scriptures, leprosy is used as a picture of what sin is like, as an illustration of sin. And if we're honest, we are all aware of this, that there is something which spoils life. It might show itself in different ways, but we only have to look around us and we know that this world is full of trouble. Maybe our lives are, are full of trouble at this time. There is something which ruins, something which spoils. It's true in the wider world. It's true for us in our own lives and experiences. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, for all the advance of this 21st century. Many positives, advances in, you know, the tech that we've got, medicine you know, access to entertainment and all manner of experiences and leisure. You know, there are some who say, well, we've never had it so good. Yet nobody can realistically say that everything is going just great. Everything would be great, but there's always a but. There's something wrong, something which, like this leprosy that Naaman suffered, that seems to spoil. Maybe for you tonight, it's insecurity about the future. Maybe it's financial instability, money trouble. You know, you think you've got all these, you know, news of rising interest rates and higher energy costs. You've got all manner of things, you know, costs of living, all that which is rising. Maybe that's a great concern for you. Maybe it's what's happening in the world. You know, we've had all the, the climate change conferences and the emergence of, of COVID over these last couple of years. All that that has meant. You know, life going along and all seems well. And then there is a great but, as it were, and it cannot be avoided, this, this thing that spoils. And the Bible says that because of sin in our lives, the lives of every person have never been whole. There is a serious problem that each one of us faces. You know, when God created man, he made him complete. His life was full. There was nothing lacking. Nothing lacking in the original creation in Eden. Man was made perfect in his relationship with God with the capacity to enjoy what had been given and complete. And alongside the woman, there was a wholeness. There was no disappointment. There was no unhappiness. There was no trouble. There was nothing wrong. And God saw that it was good and all was well. But then came the fall. And sin came into the world and ruined everything. And what was perfect became broken. 
and that completeness was lost. And so it is for each one of us, whatever our situation tonight, our lives are spoiled, they are ruined by sin, our relationship with God is broken. And we are at enmity with a holy God and, and nothing that we can do can make that right. You know, you think about even those who know great success, whether that's in their job or their relationships or their possessions. Friend, there is no such thing as complete success. I don't know if you like to read autobiographies or biographies of the world's great men and women, but you'll see this time and time again. There may be so much that is good. However, there is always a but, just like in this verse in 2 Kings 5. You hear people say, don't you, if only I had this, if only I could get this, then I'd be satisfied. But that so often fails before it's even started. And even those who do manage to get hold of what they thought would make them happy, there's still something missing. There's still that dissatisfaction. Or those who are very successful, they then have to deal with the jealousy of others and the envy of others, those who want them to fail. There's a well-known phrase where it says, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. And it's uneasy because there are others who want to take that crown from them, who want them to fail. And so Naaman, he's a great man in the eyes of his master. We know that the Lord has used him to give deliverance to Syria. He's got so much going for him, but he's got this issue. He was a leper and it spoiled everything. And sometimes in our lives, there's problem in families, problems in relationships, Sometimes it's others who bring problems into our lives. Sometimes it's the individual themselves, our temperament, our agenda. There are those who seem to have so much and give an appearance of a, a wonderful existence. You know, you look at social media, my perfect life. All these people live in these perfect lives and portrayed in a certain well. And yet, if you really get to know them, you see that behind the scenes, that's not really the case at all. No matter how wonderful we attempt to make ourselves and our circumstances, sin like leprosy is there and it ruins. And also sin disappoints and it saddens. Sin doesn't just spoil any happiness, but actively works to make us unhappy. The Bible says that if we run after sin, if we indulge sin, if we follow the world, we are guaranteed unhappiness. There may be moments of pleasure, but reality soon kicks back into what sin really brings and the damage it can do to us and those around us. And for Naaman, his condition not only detracted from all he had, but it also made him positively miserable. Sin brings pain and sorrow. You know, what is the cause of, of our problems and our sadness, our emptiness? The Bible says that it is our sin, our rebellion against God. Life is not designed to be like this, but sin always brings its trouble and its consequences. Sin saddens. And sin is ugly. You know, the Bible likens sin to leprosy, the disease Naaman had, because it pictures how horrible and ugly and appalling sin really is in the sight of a holy God. You know, you think of all the deceit and the lies and the betrayal and the treachery that exists in the world. Maybe you've been touched by some of that in your life. And you think of the impact of that, all of which finds its root in sin. There is nothing as foul as sin which tramples and, and infiltrates everything. And for all the considerations of the problems facing society and community, the wider world, many explanations are suggested, but none 
that get to the root cause of the issues. The reality of sin. And sin not only is, uh, is ruinous and not only does it make us sad, not only is sin an ugly thing, but it is also no respecter of persons. Naaman was a great man, he was a successful man, but he was a leper. It doesn't matter who we are or what we are, sin is a universal problem. Whoever it is, whether kings or princes or presidents or celebrities, whoever it is, we're all touched by this reality of sin. It is a problem each one of us has. We are all subject to it. We are all suffering from it. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so sin is a serious thing, it's a terrible thing. And so we have to ask the question then, well, can man deal with this problem of sin? Can we fix this? Can we sort it out ourselves? Well, that's why the story of Naaman is so important. His life is ruined because of this leprosy. He'd been searching for a solution. All the finest minds, the wise men of the time, all the doctors, but none could help him. In fact, his condition is getting worse and nothing can be done. And Naaman's superiors are baffled. The king of Syria shows how much he was esteemed. The king of Syria was willing to do anything to get a cure for his esteemed commander. And yet for all his resources, the king is helpless. But then as we read through in the narrative, news comes of a healer in Israel. And so the king writes to his brother, king of Israel, and sends Naaman, and arriving with this royal letter requesting a cure, Naaman hands it over to the king of Israel. You see in verse 7. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So the letter comes to the king of Israel and he knows he's got no ability to find a cure. And just like the king of Syria, all his wealth, all his advisors, all his magicians and physicians, they've got no answer for Naaman's condition. Friend, that's so important when it comes to the gospel. Because here is this problem of sin. And man, even at his very best, with all of his own resources and his wealth or whatever, cannot deal with it. It's been true throughout history. It's true today. We look at the world around us. It is ruined by sin, trying to find some solution, and we are helpless. As one explains, here is Naaman the leper. That is all of us. That is society. That is every one of us by nature. And the world is trying to get rid of the leprosy of sin and completely failing to do so. Rulers, governments, prime ministers, presidents, monarchs, all attempting to contain and control and deal with the impact of sin in the world and in our lives to try and make things better. And they try to stop the leak in one place only to find that it springs out somewhere else. Constant issues emerging. And we ask why? You know, what is the matter? Why do people behave like they do? Why is there so much unhappiness and crime and rebellion? All those things. The greatest minds cannot find the ultimate solution. And just like this old picture of Naaman, the leper who no one could heal, the world around us is ruined. The leprosy of sin is obvious, but it's not just out there, it's in us too. But men and women, they don't want to see it, then they will look anywhere else but to the explanation of the Bible and the Word of God. 
So like the kings of Syria and the, the king of Israel who could do nothing for Naaman, the problem was too complex and too much. They had no solution. And so for us, when we face sin in our lives, in the world around us, in ourselves, we don't have an answer. We don't have a solution. And so you say to me, well, is there a solution? Well, praise the Lord that there is. But the sad thing is that man is ignorant of the solution. You think about Naaman, this great man with leprosy. Everything had been tried. Everything has failed. There's a sense of hopelessness. But then there is this possible remedy. And yet these great men knew nothing about it. They were totally ignorant. And the solution is with Elisha, the prophet, and the God whom Elisha serves. And these great kings, these powerful men, they had no idea. And what a picture of the world around us. You know, I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit tonight if there were no solution, if there was no hope. It is my privilege to declare God's remedy, that he has given us the solution. But you know, the world is not interested in what God has to say. They're looking for some other things that will fail, some other new insight, some other fad, some other great man-made thought. The world is unaware of the fact that God's solution is right here at hand. And they're ignorant of it because it doesn't fit with what they think and what they want. And to them, God's solution, it's irrelevant. It's, it's too small for their consideration. And even though it's the greatest solution, the perfect solution, it doesn't fit with what people want. You think of the kings of Syria and Israel, they were more taken up with armies and military might and conquest. But it is remarkable to me that in all of their war games... It was in a skirmish that a servant girl, a little servant girl, has been captured. And the king knows nothing about this captured girl. Why would he? You know, imagine one of his advisors had gone to the king and said, you know that massive Naaman problem? I think this little servant girl has got the answer. Well, it'd be ridiculous. He would have been laughed out of the court or whatever, and no doubt he would have faced dismissal. You know, what is a little servant girl? The king needed a great solution and the world is always looking for some new great discovery, some profound statement, something sensational, something novel. But the solution to their greatest need and to yours is so different from what's in people's thoughts. It captures the whole of the gospel right here, bound up in this little servant girl. You know, after this great introduction of Naaman, there is such an underwhelming mention of this little servant girl. She's so unimportant. She just serves in the kitchen in Naaman's wife. She didn't matter. She's just a servant in the household. And yet here is the glory of the gospel. You know, the great, they're looking for these great things of the world to give answers and to provide solutions, but the solution is found through this little unknown servant girl. The answer isn't in the palace, it's not in the courtroom, it's not amongst the mighty minds, it is in the kitchen, the lowest, humblest place. Have you ever thought that this is what we're told in the Bible from beginning to end? The great dynasties, the great empires, the great kings and queens and captains and thinkers, these are the people which secular history pours over. But such is the way of Almighty God. He chose this insignificant nation, this little country, this little race called Israel. And through them he gives us the solution 
They're the ones that he sets aside, given to believe in the one true and living God, whilst all nations around them believed in idols, uh, many so-called gods. And he was their testimony of which others were ignorant, and not just ignorant, but they laughed at them, despised them. And in Scripture, we see the principle time and time again. It's always some lowly, unexpected, humble person who does not seem to count that God uses to bring the solution. Now, Sunday evenings, John has been telling us about Joseph. And you think on Joseph. You know, here is Pharaoh, the ultimate man in Egypt, rich and powerful, and yet he's facing this devastating problem. A famine is coming. He's got a dream that he can't understand. And so in come all the wise and the the learned and all the astrologers, and they're dumbfounded. They don't know. All the wisdom of Egypt, the greatest civilization on the earth, and they're confounded. No one can give an answer. And where does the answer come from? A prisoner who's been forgotten. Some fellow had been sold to slavers by traveling merchants. He'd never been in court. He was not known to Pharaoh. But from the prison, Joseph is brought to interpret the dream, to give the answer. And through this unknown man, Egypt is delivered because God is with him. Or you think of David and Goliath. Well-known story, David and Goliath. You know, Goliath, the Colossus, striding the earth. Everyone is trembling and shaking in their boots. And who is the man who's going to defeat Goliath? It's not a great captain. It's not a mighty army. It's a shepherd boy. He cannot even walk in the armor he's given. But he uses the weapons that God gave him, and that's the message of the Bible, you see. The world is ignorant. It's looking for the perceived great things, but God works in this way which is totally counter to the world. And the greatest example is the Lord Jesus. You know, at that time when he came, they were looking for a Messiah and scanning the heavens, but there was one place they never even thought of looking. The Savior of the world wasn't born in a a palace in Jerusalem, but a stable in Bethlehem, one of the most despised cities of Judah. And in Luke 2, you read of the census and the political upheaval, and yet the Lord is overruling all things for the time had come for the Savior to come into their midst, and they wouldn't make room for him. And so the Son of God is born in this stable, a little helpless baby lying there amongst the cattle, and yet he is the answer. He's the deliverer. He's the Savior. And the vast majority of the world's kings knew nothing of him. The great people knew nothing. The great thinkers, even amongst those who knew, there were those who wanted to kill him. But the Son of God came. And much like the little servant made in our text, the unknown, the unexpected, and yet heaven's solution to our greatest need. And where did the Son of God grow up? Well, in Galilee. And many were offended by that and stumbled at it. They said that this man claimed to be a unique teacher, and yet can anything come from Galilee that was good? If he's the Son of God, why isn't he in Jerusalem? Why not set himself up as a king? Why doesn't he deliver us from Rome's grasp? He can't be the Savior. And then they saw him nailed to a cross. And they saw him expire in weakness upon the cross. And the cross was an offense to them. And they saw his body taken down and buried in a grave. And they mocked and they said, is this your saviour? Is this your salvation? Oh, the world knows so much better, doesn't it? The solution is never in the kitchens. 
It's never from the servants or from the stables. It's never a cross. But so it was and so it continues to be. And friends, as we see in our text, there is a great need to be washed. And the solution to this leprosy is there. And when people are brought to see their true condition and brought to the end themselves, they turn to it as name and would turn to heed the solution of this little servant girl and they can be washed and cleansed and made right with God. You know, there's only one answer to this problem. It's the answer of the Bible, the gospel of God. We need to be cleansed from sin. How can I be accepted with a holy God? How can I be made clean? How can my sin be dealt with? There is only one solution, and it's the gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Now tonight, if we're believers, we are in the kitchen, as it were, like the little servant girl. The world, the big and the great, they're not interested in what we have to say. You know, they look at meetings like this and they think, why on earth would you want to be at a service like that? The world has never heard of us. But you know, what does that matter? Because we are God's servants. We are the unknown. We are this little remnant, and by God's grace, we have the solution, we have a cure for the leprosy of sin. And the world mocks the message of Christ. But in all their scoffing, they're still lepers, they're still sick with sin. And God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, a little servant girl. God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty, like the witness of this little maid who had the answer for Naaman, of which the great were ignorant. We have a simple yet glorious gospel. And our testimony is the same that was given by this little servant maid to her mistress. What did she say? You know, we don't say that we can cure the world ourselves, but we know the power of God that can. And that is all the girl knew. She couldn't cure leprosy. She didn't know that the, you know, that she didn't know what to to do in that sense. The cure was not with her, but she knew where there was a cure. She knew where to point Naaman. And she had come from a land where the power of God had been manifested. And if only a master could encounter that, she had total confidence that he would be healed. And you know, as I stand before you tonight, I have total confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ to save. And I bear witness to that, that when men and women are brought to realize that they cannot heal themselves, that with man it is impossible, that we are able to go on and say that with God all things are possible. There is an almighty power, a miraculous supernatural power, the grace of God which can save sinners like me and like you. The gospel which is able to forgive sin, to cleanse and wash individuals, to purify them. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so whatever your problem this night, however that sin is there in your life, whatever the butt of sin is that spoils your life, that disturbs your soul, that is troubling you, that separates you from a holy God, there is one cure, and it is the cure of God himself. You can't clean yourself. You can't make yourself right. You need someone to save you. And the Father sent his Son to be the Savior. Jesus Christ, 
the one in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, the one in whom God has treasured up all riches, the resources of his grace and his wisdom. And there is one thing to do in the depth of the reality of being a sinner, the agony of your need, and that's to go to Jesus, the Son of God, and to say, I can't save myself. I know that I am dirty. I know that I am a sinner. But I know that you can make me clean. And to go to him, and it's through his work on the cross, the shedding of his blood, that we can be washed, that we can be cleansed, we can be given new life, and we can be given new robes, as it were, so that we are accepted with God in heaven forever. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. You know, tonight he can deal with your sin and guilt through his sacrifice on the cross. He can give you new life and new power and he will make you new and he will make you accepted with God and right with God. He will deal with your sin. He will give you his perfect righteousness so that when God looks on you, he will see the perfection of his son. And so you go to him the all-sufficient Savior who through his life and his death and his resurrection saved sinners. And you know, like Naaman, we might find the way hard at first. I don't know if you noticed in the passage we read, he was furious when he went to Elisha and Elisha didn't come out and wave his hands over him and do all that. When Elisha said, you know, go and wash in the Jordan, go and wash in the river, he was furious. That was not what he wanted. And like Naaman, we might hear this gospel and we might find it hard at first. It might offend us. It might insult us. But friend, if we believe, it will save us. And Elisha's answer enraged Naaman. It was not great enough for Naaman. He wanted something more than that, but it was the solution that would save him. He needed to wash and be clean. And the gospel demands that you come with nothing, but you come to Jesus to wash and be clean. And you can come just as you are and he will take you and he will save you and he will make you new. And the question is, will you come this night or will you walk out into that darkness still with your sin, still at enmity with the holy God, still facing a lost eternity? Friend, may it not be. You come to Jesus Christ and be washed and cleansed, and right with God, sin dealt with, at peace with him, and to know that he is with you, and he will never let you go, now or forever. That's a wonderful hope to have. We all need to be washed, and if we're washed, we can know that we are right with God forever, and that's a glorious position to be in. May God have mercy upon you. Amen. Amen.